Well, as we uh, turn to read and think about God's Word, first can I invite you to have uh, a Bible open in front of you so that we can follow through uh, where we were. So Luke chapter 24, verses 36 um, through 49, uh, that would be really helpful so that we can pick up and we can see that the guy at the front's not just making things up, um, that it's actually here in front of us. So if you can, that would be super. Uh, And let me pray for us as we turn to hear from the Word of God. Father, in your mercy, you have spoken to us in Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is that in your Word, we have an even clearer uh, representation, a clearer communication of who you are, of what you have done, and the implications of that for our lives. And so as we pause now, we come with both humility and expectation, asking that your spirit would speak with authority, because none of us are here to listen to the voice of a man. We are here to hear from the voice of God in his word. And so we pray, please, in your mercy, speak to us today so that your highest uh, honor and glory would be our highest desire with the life that you've given to us. Hear us, we pray, our Father in heaven, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So digital communication and increased global travel have brought us many opportunities. The threshold of our lives, you have so many opportunities placed in front of you because you can travel more and you can access things from all over the world. Maybe barring the blip of the last couple of years where you weren't able to get to so many different places, the last 30-year period, basically my lifetime, we have been saturated and inundated with lots of different stories coming through the threshold of our lives. And with this access and these multiple stories, we have got competing narratives for our minds and for our hearts. We have competing stories placed in front of us which are demanding our minds, our hearts, our attention, our soul. These stories have competing narratives about how we make sense of life and death. What do you do when you die? What do you do with the thing that you've got right now? About your family and about finances and what they, what they exist for. About the relationships that you've been given and about spirituality. Now let me be clear, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing in one sense, that having access to lots of different things is bad. That's, that's not the case at all. What I'm saying is that it can make life all the more confusing for us because sometimes we don't know what story we belong to. We don't actually recognize, realize, and enter into the story that we belong to. Where do we fit in the midst of all these things that are placed before us in our lives? What is really real in a world of competing stories? Well, this morning I want to show us really clearly that the Bible tells us that we are part of the story that exists for the entirety, not just of your own life or of this community, but of the whole universe. That is what we are all part of. And that's what this section of Luke is leading us towards. We are part of a greater story than anything that can be put into the shop window of social media or streaming services that you access on a daily basis in your life. Jesus and his kingdom are the greater story. 
And maybe you don't listen to Jesus. Maybe you don't really pay attention to him, whether you're here or you're watching online. Maybe you don't really care too much about this Galilean guy. He is the greater story that your heart desperately is longing for. And that's what I want you to be able to see in the Bible this morning. We can see this in the final interaction of Luke's gospel. Jesus isn't dead. There is a tomb which is open for all the world to see and there's no one inside it. He is alive and he chooses very deliberately to meet up with his disciples, his on-the-job learners who don't get it right all of the time. And these people are shell-shocked and shaken because of everything that has just happened. And in this conversation, we are shown that there is a far greater story for all of humanity. So let's have a look and see. I want to break it into two sections because that's what this passage does. It goes into two different sections. Verses 36 to 43 talk about a hope for a groaning world. And then from verse 44 uh, to the end of that section, verse 49, we find foundations for a faithful life. Hope for a groaning world and foundations for a faithful life. You see, in each of the accounts of Jesus' life, in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is no holding back at all that the disciples didn't really understand what was going on most of the time, and particularly that first Easter weekend. They just didn't understand what was happening. And that's what we can see here, isn't it? Verses 37 to 38, they are startled and frightened because they think they've seen a ghost. Jesus says, you're troubled in your mind and your heart. Like he, he can see that. He knows that they don't get it. They're frightened and afraid. And Luke wants you to hit pause as you read this and enter into that moment. He wants you to go into that moment and to feel some of those things. No wonder they feel these things of being scared, being frightened. After all, the person whom they had wholeheartedly followed, they had gone all the way to Jerusalem with, the long-awaited ruler of Israel, the king of Israel, had been executed as a public spectacle just a few hours beforehand. His life was shameful, and it was a disgrace. He was dead. All of these promises of a coming kingdom, of new hope, new life, all of those things, sham, out the window, nothing. Or had these things been thrown out the window? Because standing in front of them, is someone who is claiming to be Jesus. Someone is standing in front of them and saying, I'm Jesus, guys. I'm pretty sure that none of us here like it when we've been duped, okay? I'm sure that none of you are going to stand up and say, yes, I was duped. It was great. I loved it. It was fantastic when people pulled the wool over my eyes. It was super. I was sold a dud, and, and I'm really glad that I can tell you all about it. Someone's conned me out of money. And I'm going to tell everybody about it because that makes me look super, super capable, doesn't it? Makes you feel stupid. Makes you feel ashamed. Makes you feel violated. How did they convince me that this was the case? There are even fewer people who are willing to say that one of their deepest and most trusted relationships was founded on lies, founded on deceit and untruth. Because you see, that pain is up there with the greatest pains of all. Such a close and trusted relationship was deceit, lies, and untruth. And you see, when something like that happens, we have a tendency to be far more wary. We've got a, our, our heightened senses start to pick up 
And when people turn up and say, hey, I'm Jesus, you'd be sitting thinking, well, are you? I've been down this road before. So it makes sense that we're not dealing with some men who are overly enthusiastic necessarily at this point in time. Likely, most of them are more cautious, wary. Their hopes have already been put up sky high and they've been left sitting at the side of the road. And it's into this sort of situation of emotional confusion and feelings of betrayal that Jesus appears. Jesus comes and he meets with them right in that moment where they feel that things have come to an end. He meets with them right at that moment. And he appears as the firstborn of a new humanity that tells a greater story that every person desperately needs. And even if they don't realize it, desperately wants. I'll qualify that and we'll go through it in just a minute. We can see that Jesus offers hope for a groaning world here, can't we? We can see that he is offering a hope out to groaning disciples and by extension to a groaning world. Jesus publicly displays his body to his followers because they don't quite get that he's here. He shows them his, his body. He shows them evidence of his resurrection. And because Luke is of a, a medical background and of a medical mind, the writer of this account, he is at pains to make sure that you don't miss this. He's at pains to say, he's actually here. This is a person in front of you. Look at verse 36. He records that Jesus is standing there. He references the wounds in his body, verse 39, the first half of it. He explicitly says that he has a real body, verse 39, second half of it. He shows the wounds in his body, verse 40, and then he asks for something to eat, verse 41 and 42. Luke is saying, you need to get the picture. This is a real person in front of you. This isn't a sham. This isn't someone who's here to con you. This is actually Jesus. Think about it. Jesus is standing there in front of them, not dead, alive, and he has a physical body, a real, tangible, living, physical body. Now granted, Jesus' body is clearly different from ours, eh? In different accounts, you hear that he just, you know, appears in rooms, and it seems like that's the case here in this one. He just appears in a room. I don't know how many of you can just appear in a room. Sometimes Jennifer does that when I'm in the office and I'm listening to music and I hear a noise and I start getting really frightened. That doesn't mean she's passed through walls. Jesus' body is clearly different and we can maybe chat about that later on. That's not the real focus of this section. What is the focus is that Jesus has a body. Jesus is a man standing in front of them. And this is the hope that a groaning world needs to hear. A savior who is completely trustworthy, that what he says he does and a real physical hope for the future. You see, that is at the very heart of biblical Christianity. That is what this is all about, is that we can be made right with God, and that our sin doesn't count against us, and that into the future, we can have a hope that outlasts this lifetime. We believe in a renewed physical existence where things work and it will be in the presence of God where we will hear and know in fullness what verse 36 says to those scared and frightened disciples. Peace to you because of all that I have done for you on the cross. Peace to you because I have borne your shame, I've taken your sin and that never stands against you because you love me and you are bought by me and you trust in me. That's what this is all about. And yet far too often Christians and also non-Christians can portray the hope of the gospel as some sort of mystical fly up into the sky. We just disappear and we float about somewhere up in a cloud. And that is not biblical Christianity at all. 
In reality, Jesus stands in this room with his disciples as the figurehead of a redeemed humanity, the fountainhead of true human existence. And he says, this is where it's all going, guys. You need to trust in me. This is where it is going. Renewal, restoration, transformation. This is where it is going. We noted earlier on, there are so many stories that cross the paths of our lives. They tell us that we should just live our best life now. Because after all, this is all you've got. One chance. Go make the most of it. You never know when you're going to miss out, so you just go for it. Every opportunity you're given, go for it. One day you're just going to be lying in a box under the ground, so hey, you might as well make the most of what you've got right here, right now. We're not here for a long time, but we're here for a good time, so let's get the party started and let's see what happens as a result of it. That we should seek spiritual enlightenment and that we should find ourselves in some sort of mystical sense but with absolutely no reference to the fact that we are sinners. And that actually, as far as we want to travel throughout the world, and as many books as we want to read about spiritual enlightenment, if we don't turn inside and see the darkness that exists there first of all, then we're never going to make sense of it all. That we should pursue what makes us feel good, because at the end of the day, that's ultimately what it's all about. I feel good. And so if I feel good and it's not hurting anyone else, then that's fine. Just crack on, do that with your life because that's what you're basically here for. Feel good. Don't worry about it. It doesn't really matter what the consequences are. You see, all of these stories and so many more of them come across our path. That's the stories that our children and grandchildren hear day in and day out. And yet I cannot see how any of these supposedly better stories measure up to the greater story of God's loving kindness in Jesus Christ to rescue men and women and little people from themselves, from sin, from Satan, and from hell. And to hear that amazing welcome. Peace to you. Perhaps you're listening this morning and you're not yet a believer in Jesus. Or maybe you're skeptical about Christianity. You think maybe some of this moral stuff's good and it might be helpful. I want to challenge you to find uh, me a more wonderful, comprehensive, life-transforming, fully human story than what you find here in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One which meets us in our deepest problems and which presents true and living hope to a groaning world. Deals with the problem head-on doesn't skirt around the issues, takes it, tackles it, and says, I've done with it. That's my challenge to you. Go find something that's greater than the gospel. Come back to me, come back to Bruce, come back to someone. Show us the greater story, because there is nothing which compares to the gospel. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this section is truly wonderful because it points us to the reality that even though we groan, even though we are increasingly failing, even though there are fears and we are frightened and that we are scared and there are challenges and there are changes, we have a Savior who lives. He's not dead. That's a lie. He is alive. And so the question is, do you groan? I know you do. I do. We all groan. Do you look for the day and long for the day where it all just works where the pain and the shame and the difficulties that, that come into life just are no longer there and everything just works? 
Do you long for the day when the pain of betrayal no longer is something that haunts you from your past, but is taken away and it is dealt with, that broken relationships are no longer something which control you in the present or into the future? Do you long for the day that your body, which is failing, will be given newness of life? Your hands will work, your back will not creak, your mind will be renewed, all because of Jesus Christ. That is your hope, dear brother and dear sister, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Be encouraged and be assured. As Jesus stands with these men who don't quite get it, he stands there as a real person and he says, this is where it's going. And because you are mine, this is yours to come. We then find foundations for a faithful life in verses 44 to 49. If that is the hope that a groaning world needs to hear, we also need to see that there are foundations for a faithful life which push us forward and lead us to that point when we inherit this amazing um, gift that God has given to us. I'm sure in some ways you've been there and you've been listening to someone or you've been listening to something in the radio or on the TV and, you know, for whatever reason, we just don't understand what they're talking about. Now, realistically, when somebody at the front says that this morning, then you turn around and go, well, that's basically my experience of what you're doing right now. I don't quite understand what you're talking about. I don't quite get it. I hope that that's not the case. But there is a moment sometimes, and you're listening, and the penny drops. And actually, you go, hey, what that person said makes sense. This really actually all makes sense. And that's what we see happening with the followers of Jesus. You can see that Jesus isn't telling them anything new when he appears to them in verse 44 in, in, in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. Um, that is a great encouragement for us. It might not seem like it, but it's a great encouragement. Jesus knows that you're slow. Don't try and pretend that you're super capable, super clever, and that you've got everything sewn up. He knows that you're slow. I mean, these guys walked with Jesus on the road for three years. They had Bible studies with the Son of God. And he says, yeah, you weren't really listening, were you? I'm just telling you the same things. Nothing has changed. I have said this to you already. You just didn't listen. That's encouragement point number one, isn't it? Jesus knows you in your weakness and your failure and in your frailty. He knows that. But perhaps when you're listening to the Bible... You can hear all the words being read. You can hear all the prayers being offered. You can hear the messages being spoken. And perhaps you've been here for year after year after year. And it just doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, you, you get like, fair enough, a church does stuff and Jesus must be important, but it actually doesn't make much sense. This is where we want to be clear because this is what Jesus tells us in this section. On our own, we can't understand what he has to say to us. It is the sovereign work of God lighting up what is put in front of us in the Bible that, uh, that wakens us up to these words in a book, showing us his majesty, showing us his purposes. It's why the smartest person alive can hear all of these things, can hear some of the greatest communicators out there and go, Jesus is nuts. And yet people who we would look at and judge and say, oh, they've not actually got so much going on up top, are those who can turn around and say, Jesus, my Lord, and I love him with all my heart. He's the best. You can take all this world, just give me him. 
You see, understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about ability. It is about humility. It's not about us standing back and saying, oh, I've worked out all the rational arguments in order to make sense of who Jesus actually is. While that can be helpful and a nice road towards knowing Jesus, that's not what it's all about. It's knowing Jesus that's what it's all about. The road that gets us there is not actually the one which is the most important. It's the object of the end of that journey. It is the knowing of Jesus which is most important. You see, it's not about your abilities. It's about the humility that you come before God and you say, teach me your work, teach me your will, teach me your ways. And that's the place that these people had to be in so that they could understand the implications of Jesus' resurrection and also what that then leads to in terms of their life and what that looks like in the day-to-day. -day. So come to God with humility. Ask Him to open your mind. Maybe you've never understood it because you've never said, God, I don't understand this. I mean, it could be as simple as that. I actually just don't understand this. Say that to Him. You don't catch Him out. If He knows all the hairs in your head and the day you're going to die, He's not caught out with the fact that you don't understand come to him with humility. And I'm sure you'll be surprised at the way that he opens up his word. Now, that established, we see that Jesus lays out two important foundations for a faithful life in his kingdom. And again, he is not saying anything new to us. Rather, he is helping his followers understand the big, big picture that they are all part of. And that's been there all the way along. Look at verses 46 to 47. He says, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead in the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What does this tell us? Well, it is one of the most spectacular sentences in all of the Bible, because Jesus here in this short little phrase sums up the unity of God's word and God's purposes for his world. He says everything is about the Messiah, and everything is about the Messiah's mission. The Bible is all about Jesus and it is all about what God is doing to reconcile the word to himself in his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> if you want a little key to be able to understand the whole Bible, here's your little key, and it unlocks an amazing library of treasure. And that's what Jesus does for his disciples. You can see that Jesus points these things out very clearly. He says that the Old Testament is all about God's Messiah. These are the two things you want to notice. These are your foundations for a faithful life. Jesus says it, so that's good enough for me. It's about the Messiah and about the Messiah's mission. He says the Old Testament is all about God's Messiah. From the, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, he says it's all about the Christ. And they've all been speaking about one particular moment that is going to come in time and space. That the Messiah, the Christ, was to suffer and die and on the third day be raised from the dead. That's exactly what happened, isn't it? It's just another reminder to us that God is faithful to his word. What he promises, he does and he accomplishes. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is stating it so explicitly, so clearly, so that we can't miss it. He says, I am the Messiah. I am God's chosen. I alone am the one who will bring you into a relationship with God. Without me, you're stuffed. There's no other way. There's no other option. There's no other road. He is the God of the Old Testament who's walking the earth. The God of the Old Testament who gives himself as a sin offering for his people. The God of the Old Testament who provides a rescue and a redemption that his people can never provide for themselves. 
That's your Jesus. That's your Messiah. You see, in a world of stories which say, try harder. Go on, Martin, just buck up a little bit. Get your act together. Pull your socks up. Try a bit harder. You can be a bit of a better person. Earn it. Work for it. Maybe you can do that ladder thing that gets you to heaven. Maybe you can go up the mountainside and it will get you to heaven. And Jesus turns around and says, no, the greater story is that God comes down from heaven. That he dies in your place. That he rises from the dead. So that you can know forgiveness. The gospel says, I have accomplished all that you need for life in all its fullness. To know salvation right now and forever. Don't put off the day to turn to Jesus. Now is as good a time as any. Now is the day where Jesus says into your life, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. I will never turn away anyone who rejects me. But we can see that there's a second foundation, that we need to know the Messiah, but also we need to understand the Messiah's mission. He comes to save us and to set us free And we see that through the cross and the resurrection. That's the first half, verse 46. But let's read verse 47 again. He says that the Christ is to suffer, die, third day rise, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. To where? All nations. All peoples. No matter where they're from. No matter the location in the world. This is God's purpose through his son, through his people. Jesus is explaining that the purpose of God has always been to see people from all over the world come to know him, love him, and adore him for all that he is. This was never simply about one little ethnic group that stayed in one little part of the world. This was always about God's global glory. It's always been about this. Right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden all the way through to the day where we see Jesus face to face. It's all about the global glory of God. It's a people who are set apart, a particular people who trust in God's saving provisions, who announce to every person, you need to repent and come to know the living God because there is a gospel of forgiveness of sins that comes in the name of Jesus Christ and no other. And yet to this day, there are people who live throughout the world who have absolutely no access to a Bible, no access to a church, and no access to any believer at all. No Christian who could turn around and say to them, here is the the Messiah. And I really want that to get under your skin and I want that to unsettle you and I want you to have an unpleasant lunchtime. Because you should not be able to sleep at night sometimes. If we really believe everything that the Bible says, then this is really, really, really serious. It should change our perspective on everything. The resources that God has given to us and blessed us with, it should transform our view about the breath that he has given to us. In short, it should absolutely alter the whole course of your life. It should transform the trajectory and the direction that you're supposed to be going in God's earth. If we want to live as faithful disciples of Jesus in the 21st century, then we need to be clear about these two foundations. It's all about the Messiah, 
trusting him, loving him, knowing him more and more every day, and it's all about being participants in his mission in the world for all peoples, whether it's across the street out the door here or it's on the other side of the world. Isn't that a far more comprehensive story about the reason for your life than things that you'll see in your social media feeds or your streaming services or your newspapers? Far more compelling, far more amazing, far more holistic. Not only are we invited to know the God of the universe and have our sins forgiven, we're invited to participate in what he's doing right now. To partner with him in seeing others join the family of God from among the peoples and the places of the world. We may not have been in the room with Jesus that day. I mean, none of us were definitely in the room with Jesus that day because you'd be about 2,000 years old. But that same announcement has authority over our life today. That same announcement in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. You have seen and you know. And since you have seen and since you know, what are you going to do about it? Now, let me be clear. You don't beat yourself up over the head. You don't whack yourself over the back saying, oh, I need to get out there and get everything. No, that's not the point. Jesus clears that up for us in verse 49. He says, no, 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 guys, wait here. Stay for the Holy Spirit to come on you because it is by my spirit, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that I will accomplish and achieve these things. And you don't get out there and get on with it all in your own effort. You've got to wait and know the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But there still is a challenge there. You are witnesses of these things. What does this mean for you? Let me finish up. The kids were learning about a man called C.T. Studd. Go back home, read his biography. There's lots of different ones out there um, and they're really good and they're really compelling because he's such a compelling man because he had one object that he lived his whole life out for. You tend to find that, don't you? The people who live their life solely for one thing, really compelling, particularly when they're completely sold out for Jesus. This is what C.T. Studd said. Let us not glide through the world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. That our life's count is what he's saying. And that we blow loud and hard that Jesus is the Messiah and that you are welcome to know him. I said at the start that we're being presented with competing stories from around the world. That's not necessarily a bad thing, and here's my reason, because I can't find another story which is better. So you can throw your stories up the front, you can put them out in front of me, but nothing is as compelling as Jesus. Nothing is greater than what God has done in his son. He provides hope for a groaning world. He establishes foundations for a life of faithfulness in his kingdom. Let me pray. And I'll um, lead us on to the next song. Father, in your mercy, we ask that you would bless the word of God to our hearts. You would transform our minds. You would enable us to see the world your way and from your perspective. And that we would both be encouraged and challenged by what your word has to say to us and that your Holy Spirit would imprint this into our minds and our hearts and our souls 
so that King Jesus would be our highest aim and end and goal of every breath that we have been given. So hear us in his name we pray. Amen.